really cool to be here. Uh, if you don't know me, um, oversee our Renew communities and also um, I am planning a church up in Brooklyn, about a K and a half from here, but very, very different environment. Um, one of the things that I've been doing in Brooklyn to get to know people for the past year is they have Thursday night poker at the Brookie. Um, so I go and play poker and, um, and drink pints there and um, basically sit there with a bunch of... Um, uh, kind of 50, 60 year old men and some women um, and we play poker um, and um, my exciting news of the week um, there's like 30, 35 people who play, four tables this Thursday just gone, I won it's incredible $40 bar voucher and a $100 side pot, it was pretty exciting um, so, um, so I took uh, our community out for beers last night. It was very, very exciting. Um, and um, apparently, this is um, this is very impressive. Um, apparently, I have now qualified for the regionals, <laughs> which I will not be playing. Um, but if I wanted to, I could be in the regionals. It's getting high stakes. Eh? I think I'm thinking of a new revenue stream for Blueprint, which is that maybe you just give me a five grand retainer each year, and I just take it to the pokies, and we see how we go. Um, anyway, um, I just, honestly, the last couple of weeks I have no filter, so this could get rocky. Um, we're already where we are. Um, yes, so I'm quite excited about sharing tonight because for quite a few weeks I wanted to share from this passage from John 12. Um, and I've been mulling on it and mulling on it for about two months and really keen to share this. Um, and um, it wasn't until today that I found out that the passage I'd been mulling on the last few weeks... Um, is the lectionary passage today, um, which I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's really good that I've somehow um, come upon um, come upon what everyone's speaking on today. Anyway, um, and we're talking about this in the context of um, the ruins of the church. Um, we know that the church is a mess. If you were to talk to Bishop Justin, he would say it is bloated, flabby, and idolatrous. Um, the church is a mess at the moment. We know that um, as as last as, as particularly in this time of pride, um, that the church has not been the best witness of who Christ is and of his people. Hey, that it's actually a mess. And one of the things that our, our Lenten study has been talking about is the ruins of the church. And I talk about this quite a bit um, because I think it's kind of like 101. I don't think it's really a very controversial thing to say that the church is not who it is meant to be at the moment. Um, but I'm amazed when I talk to church leaders and I say that and then people's faces go shocked as if it was this thing you weren't supposed to say. But it's like, guys, we're in decline, you know? Like, we all have to wake up and smell the coffee on it. That there actually is, the church needs to change. And we are walking in the ruins of the church at the moment. And we believe there is hope and we believe that God can birth something new out of those ruins. But let's not be idiots. We know where we are, you know? We know the time we're in. We know it's not Christendom anymore. We know it's post-Christendom. And we know that, like, I, I said to someone the other week, setting up a church in Brooklyn, I feel the way people relate to me as a priest in Brooklyn is as if I've just opened a blacksmith's shop. And they're like, why did you open a blacksmith's? We haven't had horses for, like, 100 years. We don't need to shoe anything. Why are you here? Um, and that is kind of where the church is at the moment. And we need, to, like, we need to come to grips with naming that harsh reality because only then can we begin to start to go, all right, who will we be as the people of God and how will that make a difference? It's, we're, not, we're not having a go at Jesus when we say that his church, his people, have failed to live up to their highest ideals. Um, and the, the way we're talking about the gospel, the way we're sharing the good news, is not engaging with most people in Western society at the moment. 
Um, anyway, so we live in these ruins of the church, and often when I talk like this, this happened at um, Pathfinders Retreat the other week and at um, Chapters Retreat, uh, people will say, um, why do you think the church is ruins? Why do you think it's broken? And so uh, there's myriad things you could talk about, um, but I am going to endeavour to kind of answer that question today or provide one answer to it, but I'm going to answer it probably a little unconventionally. Um, and to do that, I want to look at John 12, 20 to 33. And uh, this is Jesus predicting his death. Um, sometimes I find it helpful to close my eyes and imagine the space, but however you want to listen to this, you are most welcome. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And what I really want to zero in on today is those last two passages, 32, 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he is going to die. Now what's happening in this passage is a deliberate juxtaposition of, of language. Um, when we hear the phrase lifted up, we immediately think of someone being elevated. We think of somebody um, being glorified in the world sense. We think of someone becoming successful, reaching the top of their field, the top of their game. We think of someone who we might be enamored with or who we find attractive. We think of celebrity. To be lifted up is to make it up the social hierarchy, the economic hierarchy. And so we read this lifted up, and, and I remember reading this a few years and going, oh yeah, like God will lift up Jesus, like into the the pride of place. But then he follows with it, with, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And so the lifting up meant a literal lifting up, being nailed to a cross, being whipped, being scourged, being stripped naked. In this passage, we have two very different versions, very different visions of glory. There's the vision of fame, wealth, celebrity, and success. And then there's the vision of one who suffers. There's the vision of Caesar on a throne or the vision of Christ on a cross. The vision of Caesar on a throne or the vision of Christ on a cross. And those of you who know the prayer book will know that one day it says, you wear a crown of thorns, you make a cross your throne, you call your subjects friends. This is a different kind of king. 
In this passage, God is showing us through Christ that his glory will be displayed not through success, but through suffering. Not through success, but suffering. So he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me, all people to me. So Christ would not build his church through the attraction, through attraction or unmatched success, but by unparalleled suffering. It's a crazy different vision, right? It's a crazy different battle strategy. If you're coming to save the world, my plan is to come and to suffer and to die. It wouldn't be my plan. In this passage here, it draws a lot from Isaiah 50 to 53, which is some of the key prophecy around Christ's coming. In chapters 50 to 52, there is this rising tone of hope of this powerful God who will come and liberate the Israelites, who will come and liberate the people through power and violence and strength. You see, Isaiah 51, 9 to 10 goes like this. It says, Awake, awake, arm of the Lord, clothe yourself with strength. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? So Isaiah 52 has this vision of God's power which involves cutting someone to pieces and piercing a monster and parting the sea like for the Israelites. It's this unbridled, enormous, violent, aggressive power and it builds and it builds and it builds ready to enthrone this incredible Messiah, this king who will come and change everything. And then you get Isaiah 53, which is sort of like the of this passage. And it goes like this, it says, He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. We know that language. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance will be so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form will be marred beyond human likeness, so his blood will sprinkle many nations. Such a different vision of liberation, eh? I don't know how many of you um, have uh, studied at all the civil rights movement in the States, but one of the things that kicked that off um, was the murder of a man named Emmett Till. Is anyone familiar with this? And one of the things that really captured the attention of white America was when the image of Emmett Till's disfigured face was shared throughout the media in the States, and it is unrecognisable as a person's face. This is what we're getting here in Isaiah 53. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. That is our saviour. That's confronting, right? Are you confronted by that? Do you find that uncomfortable? I find that uncomfortable. It doesn't really look like Swedish Jesus with blue eyes and long blonde hair. But disfigured beyond all recognition. And it says in this passage, when I am lifted up, when I am disfigured beyond recognition, then I will draw all people to me. When I am hideous and undesirable, that is when everyone will come to me. And here's the thing. Christ's suffering did draw people to him. Like there was nothing attractive about him. There was nothing even... There was, there was nothing beautiful about the cross, and yet his lifting up on that cross, not his lifting up in power, not his lifting up in celebrity or in wealth, but his suffering created a movement which is still going on some 2,000 years later. I can't think of anything else like that. And so that message spread throughout the earth. 
And then the end of Isaiah 53 says this, it says, He will be counted among the greatest ever, and he will divide spoils with the wealthy and the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. His glory will come from the fact that he gave everything that was within him to bring back his children. That is his lifting up. Christ's glory is not in his strength, not in his miracles, not in his knowledge, but in the fact he poured his life out. He gave his life away. And interestingly, Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, wrote the letters to the churches, seized on the same language. When he's writing to the church at Philippi, Philippians 2.17, he says, even though I am being poured out like a drink offering. He's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.6, he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And so the hard thing about this, this, this word, this understanding that Christ did not seize power through glamour or through wealth or through violence, but through suffering, is that Paul says that that is actually for all of us too. That when we say we walk in the way of Christ, we too commit to the way of the suffering Christ. Our glory is not in our power, our beauty, or our achievements. It's in how our lives are poured out. It is in how we give everything for Christ and his gospel. So just as Jesus did, I believe that we are meant to be lifted up and poured out. Our lives are meant to be lifted up on a cross and not a throne. Our lives are meant to be poured out and not consumed with self-interest. And then all people will be drawn to Christ. And so when we ask the question, why is the church in ruins? Well, how are all people drawn to Christ when lives are poured out? The church is in ruins because it does not have enough people who will pour their lives out for Jesus and for his message of hope. That is why the church is empty. Because people will not be lifted up and we are still counting on the health, the wealth, the economic prosperity and thinking that can be the gospel. And it is a counterfeit gospel. It is not the message Jesus came with. And so I want to share... Three quick stories um, here today along these lines. Is everyone doing okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, a few years ago, I used to work for this youth agency um, called Zeal, and uh, we, um, when we started, when I started working for them, um, I was a 19-year-old kid who moved in from the northern suburbs, um, and um, a 19-year-old kid um, doing youth work with 16-year-old kids, um, and um, and I was like such a nerd, um, and still am, but um, was um, so, so nerdy and turned up to all these kids who had like, it was, it was like the height of emo, like 2006, so they all had like straightened hair or like swept hair and like just like skinny jeans as close to painted on as possible, um, and um, in time when I got more comfortable with my physique, I too found some skinny jeans um, that a friend helped me to Vaseline into, um, but um, but when we turned up, no, like, no one was interested in, in us, none of these kids. But what happened, we ran this live music venue and there was this young band who made the finals of Rockquest. And so we thought to ourselves, um, well, maybe what we can do is um, make a big deal out of them playing at this final. Um, so we got t-shirts printed with their logo on it. We got these two massive flags, like huge flags that were going to come up either side by the speakers when they played. Um, and um, so we turn up to the venue 
And um, the thing that was really, really excited, exciting for me um, is um, at the time I had like this crazy crush on this TV presenter. Um, her name was Jane Yee, and she used to do this music show. And she was the MC for the gig. Like there is like a high chance I'm going to get to meet Jane Yee tonight. Like I was like quite, quite excited. Um, and um, and so um, they play, and then um, after they play, what happens is. Um, we're all just goofing around up back, and this, this little guy, Jay, who was incredibly strong, um, kind of sweeps my legs, picks me up on his shoulders, lifts me up, spins round and round and round, trips on his own feet and drops me on the corner of the stage, splits my head open, knocks me out, blood everywhere. Who comes to the rescue? <laughs> Jane Yee. <laughs> so good. So she's there, she's there holding my head saying, everyone, everyone, paramedics, help, help, my love will die, or something like that, I imagine. <laughs> um, it's going on and on and on and on. And, um, and, uh, and then Jane has sorted everything out, and then she heads away, and then I come too. And I've missed my whole encounter with Jane Yee. <laughs> But um, I ended up having to go to hospital um, and, um, and get stitches, so I wasn't even there for the announcement um, that the band actually won the night. Um, but what happened over that weekend was um, there was this photo of me, I tried to find it today, and it's just like blood all over the side of my face, like caked in my hair, down my shirt. And it turns out like over the weekend between all the young people who came to this gig, that photo went viral. And we turn up to our after schools on Monday and we, there were ne normally three or four kids there, all of a sudden there was 20. And it's interesting eh, how the, like, these little moments have this way of like, drawing people together. These little moments of like, whether it's shared struggle or shared hilarity, there is something, a, a mythology which gathers around this. And um, yeah, there's a mythology that, that gathers around this. And what we did for the next few years is we continued to serve those young people for another decade after that. And we watched as um, a bunch of those young people, including Connor, who's here, came to know Jesus over that time. And the reason I, I tell that story um, is, although it's trivial, when we want to see people come to know the risen Lord, it is always going to take people who will pour their lives out for a season, on and on and on and on, for people to see that love embodied and to come to believe. Indeed, it's a historical pattern in the people of Christ. You know, at Parihaka, Te Fiti and Tohu pour out their lives and more and more and more people come to fill the jail cells until they can't arrest anyone else. In Kolkata, one woman named Agnes pours out her life, becomes Mother Teresa, and thousands of others come to join her. In the southern US, Martin Luther King Jr. pours out his life, and thousands, both white and black, come to join in the cause. When a life is poured out and truly lifted up, Christ draws all people to himself. Matthew 16.25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me... We'll find it. This is what gathers people to Christ, as people who will pour out their lives and who will throw it away for the gospel. So point number one I want to leave you with today, a life poured out gives itself away. As followers of the way of Jesus, we are called to give our lives away to things that are bigger than ourselves. Second thing I want to share with you today 
There was a um, guy in the mid-1800s by the name of Horatio Spafford. Great name, eh? Like, that is second, that is second only to Phyllis Tickle. Um, and um, Horatio Spafford, eh? Just, like, amazing name. But Horatio Spafford, um, it's just good to say, too, right? Um, Horatio Spafford. He, um, he was in Chicago, and um, basically um, there was a a bit of a recession there, and he was there with his three daughters and his wife. Um, and they decided, we're going to get out of here, we're going to head back home to the UK. His three daughters and his wife get on a ship, they're going across the Atlantic Ocean, and um, they are hit by a freak wave. His three daughters die, his wife is the only one who survives. So Horatio Stafford, he, um, he gets on a boat to go and be with his wife. And as he passes the moment, the place where they think it is that his three daughters died, he writes this, um, this hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. Um, and I think what's incredibly powerful about this hymn is all the metaphors he uses are like water and drowning metaphors. So it goes like this, he says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. So powerful, eh? Imagine that. Imagine going through that and being able to say, It is well with my soul. When he gets home, they stay only a little while and they depart for Jerusalem. And they, him and his wife, they go to, um, they go and they rent this place near the Damascus Gate. And they start a community there based on prayer and hospitality. And it draws all sorts of people who have been through a similar kind of trauma to what Horatio Spafford went through. And the papers start to call this church, this community, I love this, they call them the overcomers. How beautiful is that, eh? This community of people who have all been through horrific things who come together, and the media, not them, says these people are the overcomers. I want a church named that, hey. What I love about Horatio Stafford is that his horrendous suffering did not end his story. And through Christ, he overcame that suffering, but he even rewrote that suffering into a narrative of hope. A question for you today, could it be that your most darkest, most painful moment might be the gate through which others enter the kingdom? Could it be that through your most darkest, most painful moment might be the gate through which others enter the kingdom? Because that is what happened in Christ's day. That the darkest, most painful moment in his life became the greatest invitation of hope to all of us. That's a crazy thing. I recently caught up with um, a friend of mine who many of you know, um, Alicia. Um, and um, Alicia was blessed from this community um, to go and um, into um, residential care for a couple of years. Um, and she has done this amazing journey of healing, but then over the past year, um, she watched as her favourite niece died of cancer. And then within a year after that, the mother of that niece died of cancer as well, leaving behind one daughter with no mum and most, no sister and no dad. And I was thinking about Horatio um, Spafford, and I was thinking about how when I talk to Alicia, she feels like an overcomer somehow. 
I don't, I don't get it. And I was in a cafe with her the other day, and I asked her, how do you overcome? And in her own words, she basically said, what Paul says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. She just says again and again how much Jesus loves her and how the love of Christ continues to propel her through this awful situation after awful situation after awful situation. And she has not been defined by her suffering, but she has been defined as an overcomer. So powerful. And that's the kingdom of God, right? The pastor who's supposed to be running the church is sitting down with the person in rehab and being discipled by her. We need to get a different vision around that stuff. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And by the end of that conversation, like, I was more in love with Jesus. I was more in love with Jesus by sitting with her suffering and hearing her story of overcoming. And that's the power of someone who is an overcomer. And so the first point I, I said today is a life poured out gives itself away. But secondly, I want to say that a life poured out suffers and overcomes. Just as Christ went to the cross and then was resurrected, a life poured out suffers and overcomes. Final point I want to share with you today. A few years ago, some of us went to a community in Melbourne called the Community of the Transfiguration. Um, and um, this place is... Um, so, so, so confusing. <laughs> Just this lovely collection of monks and nuns who live in this commune together. They've actually, they've, when, when I was there, they'd just got consent to build their graves there because none of them planned on leaving. Um, <laughs> and um, so, so they had a little like cemetery ready to go. They had these plots. They're like, one of the main guys named Graham, he said, that will be my one. I'm like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and um, you go into this place, and a lot of the, uh, the folks, the monks and the nuns, have been through like horrific experiences, um, particularly um, around assault, and have healed together in, in this space. And when you arrive, this guy Graham comes up to you, and he just envelops you in a massive hug, and will just like hold you a little bit too long, <laughs> and just be like, your father God is so proud of you. He loves you so much, and like you know, and you're like, you know, it's not his problem. You're just feeling uncomfortable because Kiwis hate the idea of being worth anything. You know, <laughs> he's just telling you, you are worthy, you are loved. Um, invites us here into this place. We have lunch with them, and then he tells the story. He says, back in the 80s, um, when they started their monastery, the first um, group of people they felt to engage with were people um, who were HIV positive, living with AIDS, um, and the church pretty much threw this monastery out. Because their understanding was, well, these are either drug users um, or queer people, and we're not interested in either of those in the church. Um, and so what actually, this got really extreme, where a local pastor from a super conservative church actually sent the youth group out to beat up one of the monks. Um, and they, um, yeah, they actually beat the hell out of this monk um, really, really badly. About five or ten years later... Um, one of the monks is in the supermarket and he sees the pastor who ordered that attack and he thinks, oh, maybe I'll just go try have a conversation with him. And so he walks up to him and um, this pastor, ex-pastor now breaks down. He's lost his marriage, his family, his role. Life has completely fallen apart for him. Um, the monk takes the guy's number. They say maybe we'll catch up at some point. The next morning, those monks and nuns 
call that pastor, that ex-pastor, and say, we're building a house for you, come and live with us. And then at that point in the story, he points to another man in the circle and says, he was the pastor. He's now one of our brothers here. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible story. Like, what do you, what do you say to that kind of moral authority? What do you say to like, that kind of overcoming? What do you say to that kind of love? Because true love will redeem and reconcile everybody in time. When, when we see people love the unlovable, we are drawn to that. When we see people forgive their enemy, we are drawn to that. When we see people respond with mercy rather than judgment, we are drawn to that and we are healed by that. When the way of love is lifted up, when love is poured out, all people are drawn to him. And now, you know, I don't know a monastery that I've been to that isn't dying. They're all struggling to recruit people, but not the community of the transfiguration. They have people lining up, wanting to know where their grave's going to be one day. <laughs> they are pumped because they want to be part of a revolution of love like that. So when our lives are poured out, all people are drawn to them. So the first point was a life poured out gives itself away. Second point, a life poured out suffers and overcomes. And thirdly, and very simply, a life poured out loves and it 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 loves. And then when you think you can't love it, you can't be loved anymore, it loves again. Those three things, a life poured out gives itself away. A life poured out suffers and overcomes and a life poured out loves and loves and loves. To wrap up, there's that passage, um, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So ask the Lord to send workers into the harvest field. Another paraphrase of that. There is so much of the kingdom ready to break through, but so few are willing to be poured out. So ask the Lord to give courage to people to be poured out for the kingdom. There is so much of the kingdom ready to break through, but there are so few willing to be lifted up and poured out in the way of Christ. So we ask you, Lord, for courage to be lifted up and to be poured out. This is what it is to follow Jesus, guys. This is not 401 or 501 gospel. This is 101 gospel. This is the basic of it is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to Christ so that all people would be drawn to him. So that we might suffer and overcome, that we might love and love and love and love. And that we would give our lives away. So I've asked um, Jess tonight to play um, that, uh, that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, but what I want to do is something we don't often do at Blueprint here. We're not really a, an altar call kind of a congregation. We're more of a go hide in the corner if you... Have some prayers you want to pray. Um, maybe light a candle, which is beautiful too. Um, but what I want to invite you to tonight is, do you want, or do you want to want, a life that is lifted up and poured out? Do you want to walk in the way of Jesus? Do you want to love beyond yourself? Do you want to suffer and then overcome? Do you want to give your life away? Do you want to do that? I want that. I want all people to be drawn I want to have a love that runs so deep that there is no one I can't love. 
that I can be disappointed 77 times and still love. I want the kind of love that the community of the transfer does, where someone can beat the shit out of your best friend and then you build them a house. I want that love. Do you want that love? Like, I want that love. I want it so deep. I don't have it, but I want it. And I want the courage to pour my life out. I want the courage to walk the way that Christ did and the way that Paul did. I want this so bad. I'm so useless at it, but I want it so, so, so bad. And I want to look in the face of suffering and not deny that it's happening, not deny that it hurts like hell, but for there to be something in it where I overcome in such a way that people say, I want what he has. I want his Lord. I want his Saviour. I want that so bad. So if you want that really bad, um, what we're going to do is I'm going to invite Jess um, to come up here. I'm going to invite um, them to begin to play this song um, just while we sit, and I think we're going to put the lyrics up on the screen as we do. And I want you to sit with this. And if this is what you want, if you want to be lifted up and poured out, now there's, I don't want to put pressure on people. Like, honestly, I respect you if you do not respond because you're being honest, you know? Jesus said, you know, no one sets out to build a tower without first counting the cost. If you're counting the cost and you're like, I'm not up for that, that's honest. It's better than being dishonest and responding, right? But if this is the thing you want, then in about a minute or two, um, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and empower us with this thing that is bigger than we could possibly be in and of ourselves, yeah? So how about... um, yeah, you guys can begin to play, and um, I'll just I'll just pray for us, and then um, halfway through the song, I'll invite us to respond. Jesus, yours is a narrow way, but it is a narrow gate that leads into a vast space um, of peace and of love and joy. So, Jesus, we just pray, come and walk amongst us at the moment. Come and walk amongst us. Lord, for those of us who are scared, Lord, come minister to our fear with courage. For those of us who are suffering and could not imagine a way that we could ever overcome, Lord, would your hope come into our hearts? For those of us who are scared to love again, would we encounter your great love for us? 